If there's one thing that all Unitarian Universalists and humanists can agree on, that is the value of education. We don't agree on the methods of education, but we agree that education is key to living a good life, living an examined and full life. We believe that education arms us against the attractions of tyrants and fascism. We believe that education frees us from prejudices. We believe that education leads us toward love and compassion. In our value for education, First Unitarian Society has long supported ministerial interns in their formation as ministers. Unlike many congregations, I should add parenthetically that we actually pay our interns. Not too much, but thanks to your generosity, a little bit. And just to kind of recognize that they have value monetarily as well. We work to fully integrate our interns into the life of this congregation where we work on everything from heady theology to how do we meet the budget. So today we celebrate that tradition and we celebrate Jane as she finishes her formal academic studies and goes forward in her development as a minister. I should mention the um, fabric art up here by Becca Brackett. This is uh, from Kendall Gibbons' days to celebrate interns. Becca, are you back, back there somewhere? She was here. Oh, she, everyone's in the balcony today. What's that? And, and you'll notice one of the things about this, we light the chalice, but this uh, is lighting a candle off the chalice to pass it along is the symbolism of this particular one. And also, I didn't know that chalice and roots have the same Greek origin, apparently. So there's a kind of an interesting thing going on with, with that. Well, I want to invite Madeline up now to say a few words as the... Chair of the committee. I loved that you picked that Michael Franti song today, because truly the more I see, the less I know. <laughs> that was a perfect line for this. Good morning. Um, what a wondrous two years it's been accompanying Jane through her internship. As David was saying, we at FUS are proud of our long tradition of being a teaching congregation. But it was an eye-opening honor to serve on Jane's intern committee, something I'd never done, and learn what being a teaching congregation really entails. I finished this experience with an unanticipated, rich, new understanding of just how complicated and demanding being a minister is, and that becoming a minister is even more so. Honestly, I really didn't have a clue. <laughs> First, there is the impossible skill set. There are seven competencies interns are expected to develop. Let's start with number one, worship and rites of passage. Sounds simple. What that really means is be an event planner. Plan a great event for 200 people every week. In between, sprinkle an individually tailored rituals, uh, sprinkle individually tailored rituals for all of life's hardest and most celebratory passages. Understand the human heart and how to foster spiritual growth. No really, no problem. Those events you, need to, you plan need to be deeply meaningful. Be an engaging public speaker. How's your pacing, your tone, your humor, your delivery? Be inclusive of many cultures and ages. Speak to children, 
speak to millennials, speak to great-grandparents at the same time. Oh, and integrate everything you know about theological theory and practice. All that, and that's just the first of the seven competencies. Some of the others include administration, which means you also need to develop the skills of a CEO or an executive director. Then there's social justice in the public square. For this, you need the skills of a collaborative community organizer. Then, no theories of teaching and learning, because you are also an educator of children and adults. And pastoral care, develop the skill to help a, pair, a person prepare to leave their life, to know when to talk, what to say, and when to be quiet. Developing any one of those might be a whole career's work. Yet each month, Jane came to us with a list of so many things she had done, clear about how each one of those activities built her skills in one or more of the seven competencies. Then there's also this mystery of developing ministerial presence. What makes a minister seem like a minister? What makes a reverend worthy to be revered? During Jane's internship, we discussed what ministerial presence is and how one might develop that. One essay we all read together talked about how you need to bring your whole authentic self to the role of minister, but not really, because the role of the minister isn't really to be 100% yourself. It's to keep you and your ministerial persona in a healthy balance. A person in the role of minister strives to meet the congregation's idea of a good minister, even on those days when they don't feel much like being anyone's idea of a minister, good or otherwise. Hopefully, over time, a ministerial student develops that presence and persona and begins to be treated by others as a minister. To our delight, over the last two years, Jane began to feel increasingly like a minister and found that we began to regard her as such. This was an exciting transformation to get to process with her. When she bravely shared how mental health issues have impacted her life and family, she did so as Jane Smith, the minister, speaking with compassion about Jane Smith, the person. She shared her own struggles with a minister's knowledge that doing so would bring strength to others who have struggled with mental illness in their lives. She spoke so that it would make Jane Smith, the minister, a better minister to us, not so that it would help Jane Smith, the person. And indeed, her ministerial courage helped FUS invite mental health in. From being a social justice issue out there, she helped us invite our own struggles with mental illness to come sit with us in our pews, to be treated with the compassion she modeled. As I said, I understand better now what a complicated and difficult thing it is, this becoming a minister. On the flip side, it was easy to chair Jane's intern committee, thanks to Jane's tight organization and record keeping, <laughs> and the terrific committee members. If you're ever asked to chair an intern's lay committee, ask for Steve, Jean, Polly, and Shelley. <laughs> They engaged, they reflected, they questioned, they supported, they showed up, and they kept Jane's best interests and her goals at the fore throughout her internship odyssey. Thank you, team. And finally, to Jane, 
We are so grateful for your service to FUS these last two years. You taught us about gender non-binary non lives and the need to share and use preferred pronouns as part of respecting one another's identities. You were persistent and successful in building a ministry with the young adults, outings, game nights, small group discussions, building them a connection to one another and to FUS that we hope we can continue. From Standing Rock to memorials and mindfulness workshops, you have served and ministered. And you have grown tremendously, reaping, re reaping rewards from your disciplined hard work and always asking for feedback. Now, I've met people before who can take constructive feedback, but I have never met anyone like Jane who asked for it so often or who was so able to actually incorporate it to make changes, to practice, and again ask, how is that? It's a committed person who fears working with children and then puts themselves on stage to practice working with children. <laughs> it's a committed person who takes improv theater classes to develop physical presence. Jane, you made the most of every day you spent at FUS and are well on your way to becoming what you want to be. What a pleasure to get to know you, and what a model you were for me. Finally, I posted on the FUS forum that I hoped people would attend today to help celebrate Jane's farewell. Ruth Agar wrote back that she couldn't be here today, but that Jane is a special person with surprising and unique gifts. So true. On behalf of all of us on your committee, Thank you, Jane, for spending these two years with us and sharing your surprises and gifts so generously. Congratulations on your graduation from Meadville Lombard, and may you have many years of rewarding ministerial service ahead. From this UU non-theist to that UU theist, Godspeed. <laughs> I sat in the warm sunlight, feeling the grass beneath my feet and on my legs as I spread my dress around me. I felt the cool sunlight as I focused my attention on the old, thick trees holding between them a white hammock that would one day rip apart as I sat on it with my fiance. I heard the bees buzzing as I navigated their way in and out of the petals of a beautiful, bright blue bush and I prayed. Storytelling is an ancient art, and this creative act allows us to narrate our experiences in a way that serves to pass on lessons, ideas, and worldviews from one generation to the next, from culture to culture. Stories serve a multitude of purposes, from the parables of Jesus to our own time for all ages. And many worthwhile stories are what we call origin stories. These are the stories that spark in us the beginnings of remarkable things, of relationships, callings, careers, moves. I'd like to share my spiritual journey with you, one of my own origin stories. This is my story from a skeptical, secular girl to that of a ministerial intern here at the First Unitarian Society. 
a story whose beginning was marked by a big, beautiful blue bush, a story to demonstrate one unique path of spiritual growth and to demonstrate the importance of lifelong learning and curiosity. But let me back up to a few years before that bush. Since the age of eight after my parents divorced until my early 20s, I lived with my mom. During these formative years, I learned a lot about spirituality by emulating the ideas of my mother. My mom was living her spiritual life as an atheist, rejecting her Catholic upbringing. I modeled her atheist beliefs even if I was not wounded from religion myself. I believed that people only used religion as a way to deal with death and dying, as a way to think they would see their loved ones again someday. I admit I felt negatively about religion and religious beliefs. This was my worldview. But this worldview was not built to last. It changed with the big blue bush. I challenged my own secular ideas as a young adult. In my teenage years, I suffered losses. My grandfather drowned and my aunt committed suicide. I was sad, I was grieving, I was confused and hurt. Now, my mother's house has a window that overlooks her garden. I remember sitting at her dining room table, looking out that window. I looked, as I often did, at that big blue bush planted on the outskirts of the property line. That day, I was called by that big blue bush to deal with those losses. So I went to it and I sat. And it seemed instinctively, I began to pray. Not to a god or any deity, at least at first, but to my family members. I told Nancy how much I loved her and told her how her children were doing. I thanked my grandfather for always supporting me and loving me. And this began to get pretty regular, leaving my mom's house to sit in the backyard and share my love with my aunts and my grandfather. Now, soon I felt a divine presence during these conversations. I felt there was more than my aunts, my grandfather, and me. Something more and something holding us all together. And I began to pray to this something, to feel connected to this something. These prayers were me offering gratitude or sharing a hurt or pain. These were the prayers that fostered my theology of love. To me, this God was a source of love in the world, and this was monumental to me. Since then, this connection has never faltered. I knew from that moment that I would never feel alone again, and this has had a large impact on how I live my life. And what is so neat about this is that during this time of budding theistic spirituality, I accidentally found a UU congregation. At the time, I had never heard of Unitarian Universalism. I was at an event hosted by a local congregation, and another attendee invited me to attend church with them the next day. I was searching for a community. I was searching for healing. I was searching for answers to big questions I had never asked before. 
and I stumbled upon the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Princeton, New Jersey. I attended that first service and never looked back. I don't remember that particular service, but I remember very early on hearing about Universalist theology because it saved my aunt. Universal salvation meant that Nancy was safe and okay and held. Wherever her and my grandfather were, they were together. And now I see the irony in my own story. I had looked down upon others for using religion as a way to deal with death. Was I now using religion precisely in this way? Or does the death of loved ones lead to spiritual journeys we would never be on otherwise? Perhaps the most spiritual of all journeys stems from death. Unitarian Universalism, to me, exemplifies radical acceptance, an openness to others' truths, an ongoing search for the spiritual, a drive to keep learning and growing and working to benefit humanity. In the walls of this UU congregation in New Jersey, I heard multiple worldviews, and my own changed. I met unique people all on their own journey, all with their own blue bush. Very soon I knew I had found my calling, that this was what I was meant to do in the world. This was my path, my journey. This was how I was supposed to use my past to help others heal and to journey with them as they navigated life's rough waters. I applied to seminary and was accepted. Three years ago, I began my studies at Meadville Lombard Theological School, a UU identity school based in Chicago. During my second year, I moved from New Jersey to Minnesota to begin my internship here at the First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, where I have remained for these past two years with all of you. And for that, I am so very blessed. FUS, you taught me humanism. We need to be the change we want to see in the world. No one is going to do it for us. Because of my experience at the First Unitarian Society, I have become much more active in social justice initiatives. It has been such an awesome journey to work on dismantling the gender binary together. And in initiating this work with you, I learned so much about gender. You trusted me with your children as I learned to teach and interact with our young people. I learned how to teach about intersectionality and to lead mindfulness workshops, to implement my own young adult group. I am so much more confident, sure of myself, and sure of my ministry, much better prepared to lead. And all of you taught me how to be a minister. When I began, I could hardly introduce a song. I am still surprised by how much I have grown and how much I have been loved into this growth by all of you. I also hope you have learned from me these past two years. I hope not only to have brought awareness about gender non-binary, but to have helped normalize and fight the stigma of mental illness. Mental illness is so prevalent, and for the last time, I assure you, you are not alone. I aimed to be vulnerable in order to allow space for others to be vulnerable, 
and in that act heard so many touching and emotional stories from many of you. And that is such an honor. Much of what happens next for me is a complete unknown, but is that not often the case? Today we focus on lifelong learning, lifelong journeys. I know that my spiritual journey that began by that blue bush is not over. So I think of the transformative aspects of the story of the blue bush I shared with you, how I dealt with change, death, with the experience of leaving behind childhood beliefs or the ideas of parents noting my own hypocritical path. All of this, the good and the bad, makes my spiritual journey. Much of this I have learned from you. And this spirituality, this learning, will never end. And that is so exciting. I leave for Sudetarian society, and this chapter closes on a temporal level. But spiritually, I will never leave here. I will never forget what you have taught me. I will never forget all that change that occurred in two short years. Thank you to my teaching pastor, David, to assistant ministers, Kelly and Jim, to my lay committee, to the rest of the staff, and to every single congregant. I will never take for granted any of you. Thank you for being on this journey with me. All of you, you are part of my story. Thank you. <laughs>